You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, you know him, you love him, you can't live without him. It's Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Had a harrowing experience uh, yesterday out sledding with my kids. Okay, wait a minute. I have not heard. I I saw the email from you that you guys were going to go sledding and trying to get other people to join you on this adventure. Well, first of all, we went out to Prescott School, which is not what you might consider like a burly sledding hill. It's like a bunny hill. Okay. You know, for our six-year-old and our three-year-old and our 20-month-old, it's about right where you want it to be. Not too challenging, but at the same time, they're going to, you know, their heart rate will get up a little bit. You get a little bit of wee going on there. Yeah. The actual sledding adventure went great. Then we're we're leaving. We're going to go get in the car. And my kids decide that they want to sled down the street to the car. Huh. I can't see any way for that to go wrong. I'm carrying our 20-month-old. They're kind of sledding. They're not going that fast, so I'm not really worried about it. I turn around. The street is so icy that they sled right past the car, across the street, into someone else's driveway, and slam right into the front of a parked SUV. And they get stuck underneath it. (laughs) What? The sled goes like halfway underneath the parked SUV. And this is one of those things like where you see it happen and it's like it's happening in slow motion. Yeah. But you are still somewhat uh, powerless to do anything about it. Like the only thing I could do. And it's like, you know, when you see the trajectory of something and you yes. know, you can see where it's going. And uh, I was like... America, for instance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, no, <laughs> get off the sled. <laughs> Face first. My three-year-old is in the front of the sled, face first into this SUV. My first thought is either, well, he's dead. And so we're going to have to reckon with that in some way. Either that or we are definitely spending the rest of the day in the emergency room. So like, I basically, as gently as I could, set the 20-month-old down in the snow and like ran across the street, pulled the kids out from under the car. They're both just fucking fine. No injuries whatsoever. <laughs> My three-year-old like got a little scrape on the side of his face, but just emerged unscathed from what for me was a super scary incident. Was the owner of the SUV aware of any of this? I don't think anybody knew what was happening. Like They were all inside yeah. their homes. Now, as far as how this series of events came to pass, one hates to point fingers. One hates to play the blame game here. But you're saying when my wife said it was okay for them to ride this oh, okay. the street. Oh, okay. All right. Now you've, you've twisted it a little bit already. You're now, saying it was largely her fault. Once I hear it what comes to assigning responsibility, suddenly your wife enters this narrative for the first time. Was I'm, not present at any other part in the storytelling until it's time to blame somebody. Then suddenly she appears in the story. I'm just saying I don't think we need to take this any further. Like, we know where the, where this is going blame-wise. I think we do. Mostly her, not any <laughs> responsibility on my end whatsoever. 
Well, I, t- I hope she listens to this podcast. I know she doesn't, but I'm going to make sure I cut up this part for her <laughs> and send it on over. Let's just say equal blame among the parents. Oh, now now it changes. Now once you find out that she's going to hear this, now yeah. it's now it's equal blame. Okay. Well, Ben, it's hard to believe that the week of the UFC's debut on ESPN is finally here. So we're going to be spending most of today's show previewing that event, which obviously features a champion versus champion main event pitting Henry Cejudo against TJ Dillashaw for Cejudo's flyweight title. The winner of that fight becomes yet another champ champ for the UFC. You've got Paige Van Zant, you've got Donald Cerrone, you've got Gregor Gillespie all on this card. Also a guy named Greg Hardy in the co-main event who I've never heard of before, so it'll be interesting to find out what that guy's all about. All of that coming up in just a bit, but perhaps most importantly, Ben, we made a huge gaffe on last week's show. Not a gaffe. Us? Not just a gaffe, but a huge gaffe. Are you sure? That doesn't sound like us. (laughs) We totally forgot to set a date for the upcoming Affliction Day of Reckoning streaming challenge. So we're going to do that right now because I know that everybody is excited for it. Oh, everybody's super jacked for this one. You ready for this, guys? Write this down if you're playing at home. Friday, February 22nd. Boom. That's that's when we're going to do it. It's the night before... ESP UFC on ESPN plus three, maybe headlined by Jan Blachowicz versus Tiago Santos. Ooh. So already people will have their adrenaline pretty high. Yeah. That's going down in the Czech Republic. So we're not terribly <laughs> sure exactly what time it's going to air on you're Saturday fucking with me. Are you joking? Are you, is that really what we're doing? Yeah. Czech Republic. Okay. All so right. maybe you have a couple of few soda pops the night before during the affliction day of reckoning challenge. Next day, you get to uh, chill out and watch Jan Blachowicz and Tiago Santos. A noted hangover cure, yeah. But as everybody knows, Ben, uh, this isn't for everybody. You can't just be some jerk off the street. You got to be pretty handy with the steal, if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. By steal, you mean credit card. (laughs) Ben, tell the kids at home what they have to do to be part of the Affliction Day of Reckoning streaming challenge. Chad, what would you say if I told you That there was a magical place where you could get a whole extra CME podcast every week. Also stuff like live chats, streaming events such as this one, book clubs, weird MMA-themed noir fiction, and beginning in February, a very special Deadwood podcast all beamed directly into your home and or mobile device. I'd say that that sounds like pure fantasy. It's not, though. It's not. It's real, and it's happening over at our Patreon, where nearly 1,000 souls, as of the last counting, have signed on to keep this podcast ad-free and, dare I say, almost irresponsibly independent. Uh, In order to get access to all those extras, all you have to do, you head on over to patreon.com slash co-main-event. That way you can uh, feel good about keeping this podcast unfettered and supporting a couple guys who are just trying to make a show without being beholden to evil corporate interests. Uh, You know, you sign up. You'll be glad you did. We'll be glad you did. The whole train keeps on rolling, man. Also, remember that the CME book club about No Country for Old Men is coming up. Uh, That's going to be Friday, January 25th. So a week from this Friday. Had to move that due to the holidays. And, you know, we don't want to get caught up in the excitement of the UFC moving over to ESPN. So, uh, Cormac McCarthy deserves better. That's right. Exactly. Putting that off until January 25th. We've already gotten some good responses starting to roll in, but we want to hear from everybody if they read the book, if they watched the movie, whatever, and you got something that you want to uh, contribute for that. 
Hit us up, man. Send us an email, and if it's good, we'll read it on the show. Rumor is we might even have some thoughts from a best-selling author in Germany. That that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be incredible. How about that? Also, remember, if you want to support the show, Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes and Dundasso Cigarettes T-shirts. Dundasso's not cigarettes. But Yet. It might be. You never know. Those are available on demand all the time, whenever you want, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise we got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, a producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, most of you know by now, that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. Sounds like people are really having some interesting interactions wearing the cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirts out in the community. Yeah, you, they really are. You know, I've always found whenever I wear my Dundasso t-shirt and somebody asks me about it, then, it's, then I got to be like... Well, it's a see what had happened was yeah. it's no. a fake martial art that we made up on our MMA comedy podcast, and it's named after me. You should just lie and say you got it at a thrift store, and you don't understand it. That's that that's the be better a, way to go. That would be a much better approach. It does be sound though like running around with a cowboy astronaut cigarettes T-shirt is a great way to find yourself in interesting conversations with strangers. I bet it is. And everybody wants that. So go to cottonbureau.com yeah, and that? scoop those up today. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, does this Saturday mark the end of the men's flyweight division in the UFC? One thing to watch for might be if Dana White comes into the octagon for the presentation of the belts carrying a trash can. And in round number two, did Cowboy Cerrone actually get the plum assignment for UFC on ESPN Plus One's featured prelim? Are Ben and I just being old fuddy-duddies about all this streaming? And will there even be any metrics to tell us whether this ESPN-UFC partnership is working? And in round number three, Nate Diaz wants in on this Conor McGregor-Habib Nurmagomedov feud, or at least as all the way in as a Diaz brother can get in today's UFC, which is not all the way in, but at least social media shit talk in. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time... Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. We, are we obliged to mention that we have a wrestling ring here? The people on the live stream, I'm sure, have, have noticed this already. But uh, uh, Long-time listener, friend of the show, yeah. co-main event podcast patron, Andrew Millington, was nice enough to send us this wrestling ring, plus the uh, Junkyard Dog and Rowdy Rowdy Piper action figures for Ben and I for Christmas. We said we were going to put it up last week. Of course, we bungled it and forgot, just like we did with the streaming event. Here it is this week. For everybody on the live stream to see in all its glory, plus my three-year-old's Triceratops, yeah. which he left on the table this morning, I figured, just throw it up there. Triceratops fits in the ring. Also, man, this uh, I'm going to describe this Rowdy Roddy Piper figurine as well-loved. It has, it has been through some times. I'm not sure if that's blood on here or what, but... Uh... Well, it's yeah. not like you were going to buy a Rowdy Roddy Piper action figure and then not play with it. That's true. That's a very good point. First question this week comes to us from Darren Lockyer. He writes, let's take a quick trip in the MMA hot tub time machine. MMA HTTM. HTTM. Yeah. Remember Will Chope? No? Yeah, me either. Luckily, I have access to the Google machine in my house. Will Chope lost to Max Holloway in the UFC. He was scheduled to fight again. However, the evil empire known as Bleacher Report revealed before the fight that Will Chope was dishonorably discharged from the military for repeated domestic violence incidents with his then-wife. Once the UFC found out about this, and after the internets got super mad about it, they canceled the bout and cut Will Chope. Now, let's get out of the MMA 
HTTM and towel each other off. Don't make it weird. I'm sure that uh, a few years having passed that Will Chope has no hard feelings toward the UFC when he sees the prominent position that they are giving Greg Hardy on their first fight card on ESPN. Then in all caps, the fuck. Okay, that is actually an interesting angle that I have not thought about before. Maybe because I don't know if anybody's exactly overwhelmed with sympathy for a different domestic abuser yeah not a lot of people out here sticking up for will choke that's not the angle people usually come at it it's like what about this other guy but But this is an interesting point and you know once again perhaps more than anything uh reinforces the idea that you know not everyone is created equal in this sport and that people that they think who are going to be or at least have the potential to be popular and, and bring money in for the ufc play by a different set of rules and one might be tempted to say no rules at all yeah well and even the UFC has gone back on other stated positions on this issue. You remember Dana White said that that's one thing you don't come back from is putting your hands on a woman. And then when you have a guy where you think that maybe you can make a star out of him, suddenly we're all about second chances and all that stuff. Which I, I think that maybe you could play the redemption story game a little better with Greg Hardy if he seemed interested at all in taking responsibility for it and seeking forgiveness, which yeah. by all public indications, he is not. Yeah, the uh, you know, if you are pro Greg Hardy in the UFC, it seems like the the rhetorical strategy that a lot of people are using is to say everybody deserves a second chance, et cetera, et cetera. And to some measure, maybe that's true. But as you just said, uh, it doesn't seem as though Greg Hardy has offered a lot of like repentance or uh, you know, being sorry, any sort of like remorse whatsoever for uh, his alleged domestic violence of the past. And so that puts you in a weird situation if you are trying to, you know, pitch this everybody deserves a second chance line. Uh, what I wonder is, given that Greg Hardy hasn't really done any media to speak of around his MMA career and his previous professional fights have all been on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, which is obviously a streaming event kind of done for its own sake. Right. And they seem to be purposely leaving him out of media events this week. So yeah, I was going to, I was going to say he's fighting in the co-main event on Saturday on the ESPN plus show. I was wondering if Greg Hardy is going to do any media leading up to this event. And if so, how that was going to go. Well, the last schedule I saw uh, about media events planned for this week, you know, Dana White, the the main event fighters, TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo, I think Donald Cerrone, uh, and Alex Hernandez on there, but I did not see Greg Hardy's name on there, but which seems odd. Like if you're in the co-main event and your first big event with this new TV partner, it seems like if it were a different co-main event, maybe you'd want those people part of it. Yeah. Well, and it's again, it brings up the idea of like, okay, you are essentially going to suspend any kind of moral judgment in order to bring Greg Hardy into the UFC, ostensibly because you think that he can be a marketable, promotable, like significant draw for your company, especially at heavyweight, which, you know, could be one of the marquee weight classes in, in MMA if it could ever collectively get its shit together. Like, what does it say if you have to hide the guy from the media? Like, is does that Im- impede or, uh, you know, make him so that he's he can't be the big draw that you thought he was? Or if he just goes in there and, you know, knocks out other former NFL players, is that good enough? I don't know. I mean, I think you're not going to be able to hide him from the media forever, especially if he's winning fights. If you, you know, he's going to be standing back there afterwards, ask, answering some questions. You would think you just can't play that game forever. So, 
I also, though, I'll be interested to see this week because you want a big push behind this first event with ESPN, right? And you want to bring a lot of attention to it, bring a lot of eyeballs to it. There's a reason you put Greg Hardy on this thing, because you think that mainstream sports fans will know the name Greg Hardy. and be like, we got a former all-pro defensive end fighting on this fight card. Sign up for ESPN+. Plus. Make sure you, you get a chance to watch it. But you also then invite this entire conversation over and over again. So it's like you want more new eyeballs, but also those new eyeballs are going to be forming some conclusions about you when they arrive. And you've chosen to have this as part of the conversation. Yeah. How would it go, Ben? How would you take it if Greg Hardy showed up this week for these media events, if he was part of them, if he went to the press conference, if he asked, answered every question that was asked of him, if he was basically like, hey, I know that I've made some huge mistakes in my past. Obviously, my actions cost me a chance at a professional football career, uh, but I still feel like athletically I have a lot to give. Uh, I'm a competitive person. I want to get out there and compete and see how I can do in MMA. Uh but I really want to like apologize to the alleged victim in this case. I want to apologize to everybody who I let down in the past. I really want to forge a clean slate for myself and get out there and see what I'm made of in the UFC. To you, would that like make a difference right now? Or would it be too little too late? Or would you like give Greg Hardy the earnest benefit of the doubt if, if that's how this week played out? Yeah, that would make a difference. I won't say that it would just be a magic wand that you wave and it fixes everything, but that would be a major step in the right direction because as recently as just a couple of years ago, he was giving interviews basically saying she was lying. So it would be a huge difference to be like, I did these things and I'm sorry yeah. and it was wrong and I'm trying to be a better person. Like that's, that's how redemption actually happens. And instead, even in that like fight pass uh, promo piece that they put together about him where they tried to, allude vaguely to some legal problems and have like b-roll of him walking up the courthouse steps the interviews from him in that made it sound like man isn't it a bummer that i don't get to play football anymore right. like he almost seemed to view himself as the real victim here so yeah that would make a big difference to me anyway it brings up a lot of questions just like how are they going to talk about him on the broadcast what you know how will they allude to his to his past uh you know UFC's own history, I think, tells us that they will do it as vaguely as possible because that's what they have traditionally done about any fighter that has encountered a, a any like basically any any kind of of adversity or any kind of like personal mistakes. Do you expect past? ESPN to like the fact that you're not just doing your own thing anymore? That you're you're on ESPN, they're going to view you as some kind of like brand ambassador to, to a certain extent. Do you feel like that would make any kind of difference? Or do you feel like it's still is the UFC doing its own production and uh, doing whatever it wants and ESPN is just the vessel for it? I mean, honestly, as I've said from the beginning, I can't even figure out where ESPN is at on all of this because, you know, the, the worldwide leader itself has taken pains to like set itself up on the other side of, of the political and, and like uh, social spectrum over the last few years, like much to some people's uh, displeasure, in fact. So like the ESPN UFC partnership to me seems like a weird animal up to this point. And the fact that Greg Hardy is going to be on the debut broadcast, at least on ESPN plus is to me almost the weirdest part of it up to this point, because like if I owned that network, I would probably be like, you know what? How about no, let's do something else. Let's go in a different direction. And like, 
honestly, if Greg Hardy is going to make this career for himself in MMA moving forward, I would think that at some point he is going to have to address it. And to me, it would be best for him to address it pre prior to his first fight in the actual UFC. So like if this, if this fight passes, if he wins it and we don't really hear anything from him, like the chance that you get to have a reprieve or to be granted a second chance in anyone's eyes, I think it's slimmer and slimmer. The, 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 you know, the further you go in your MMA career, it's not like 10 fights from now, if Greg Hardy is fighting for the UFC heavyweight title at that point, he could be like, Hey, you know what? I'm really sorry about that stuff. That <laughs> okay. Yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. That would be super weird. Also, uh, it just feels like this is a fight with the UFC put together for Greg Hardy to win on ESPN and on the streaming service and look good. Right. Like it does not feel like a fight where the UFC made it thinking, Let's figure out what Greg Hardy's really about. I mean, Alan Crowder, the guy he's fighting, uh, he lost his first UFC fight to, uh, he fought on the Contender Series also, but then fought in the UFC, uh, lost to Justin Big Pretty Willis at uh, UFC 218. And then you slid him into this fight with Greg Hardy right after that. Feels like what you're hoping for is that Greg Hardy's going to smash him, right? Yeah, well, there's only one person on the main card of this event that does not have a Wikipedia page. And that person is Alan Crowder. Okay. All right. Next question this week comes to us from Justin Manning. He writes, here are the fights that would most intrigue me for 2019. If you could make any two of these happen or have your own that aren't listed, which two would you pick? Here's his list. John Jones versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, Daniel Cormier versus Brock Lesnar. Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor. Conor versus Nurmi 2. GSP versus Tyrone, Tyrone Woodley. He did write... Tyrone Woodley here, uh, Noons versus Cyborg 2, and let's go batshit crazy and throw out GSP McGregor at 170. Ben, well, what say you? If I can pick two? Yeah, you can pick two or you can book your own fights. Well, okay, so I can kind of do anything I want to do. I mean, these are good examples, though. They are. They are good examples. Um, I mean, let's not go too crazy. Right. I don't see Nurmi versus Tony Ferguson on this list. No. It's not on this list, but you can book it right now while you're wearing your Sean Shelby hat. Book it. Fucking book it, Chad. Okay, Nurmi versus uh, Tony Ferguson. What else? Uh, and then I'll take one from this list, and I'll say, just because I'm... Well, actually, I'm going to say Max Holloway, Conor McGregor. Yeah, that's I was going to say DC Lesnar, just yeah. for f- pure, pure freak show uh, quality. But no, Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor, I would watch that. I would be very excited to watch that. Yeah, in terms of an MMA fight, that's probably a lot better option. Since you said it, though, I'm going to go with DC Lesnar. Because okay. we got to get that out there. Let's get that out in the ether. Putting together our, uh, putting out positive vibes just to... Uh, if you had to choose one, DC Lesnar or John Jones Lesnar, which one do you choose? Right now, I would take Cormier. Because he is the heavyweight champ. Assuming that he remains the heavyweight champ, I would take that. Uh, John Jones versus Brock Lesnar is... Definitely a thing that I would be interested in somewhere down the road. With my other pick, I'm going to go GSP McGregor, but I'm going to say 165 for the uh, super lightweight title. Junior middleweight super 165-pound title. Oh, okay. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll, I want to ask you on this. Would you rather see John Jones versus Brock Lesnar or John Jones versus Cain Velasquez? Well, I'm going to segue into our next question then. This next question from oh, Queen, shit. Queen Elizabeth II. Huh. So. All right. Who knew? Okay. She's out there watching the fights. Right. 
That's interesting. Am I the only one who wants to see John Jones versus Cain Velasquez? She writes. Uh, also managed to spell both their names wrong. John That's Jones true. with an H, Cain Velasquez with just not even close. Yeah, just ballparked it on Velasquez. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I can respect that. Um, no, no, you're not the only one who would like to see that. Especially, I mean, it's hard for me still. We talked about Cain Velasquez at length in our Power Hour podcast last week. Uh, and one of the things we came away with is it's hard to even get back to thinking about Cain Velasquez as a heavyweight juggernaut just because it's hard to even believe you'll get to see him consistently, that yeah. he won't be knocked out with injuries again. But if he comes back and if he were a mainstay in the heavyweight division again, it would not take much for me to get excited about thinking John Jones versus Cain Velasquez. Yeah, first of all, it's like the 2008-2009 dream fight that yes. never happened, yeah. right? And it's still, assuming that both guys can keep themselves active uh, for their various reasons, it's still a hell of a dream fight. In fact, it's almost like the perfect entry fight for John Jones in the heavyweight division, I think. Especially, like, we're going to see what Kane has to offer uh, coming up in February when he fights Francis Ngannou at the first UFC event that's on ESPN television. Uh, if he wins that fight and John Jones is able to get past Anthony Smith in terms of his uh, upcoming light heavyweight title fight and maybe more appropriately if he's able to get path past the Nevada State Athletic Commission to get licensed for that fight, like... I feel like it would be almost perfect timing sometime in the fall for John Jones to test the waters at heavyweight and fight a person like Cain Velasquez. And if they're both around, they both are coming off wins. Let's do it, man. Why not? Especially if Cain needs to like, you know, kill a couple more months before Daniel Cormier decides that he's, he's ready to go home and, and, you know, just be a broadcaster. Yeah. Well, and it does, Feel like, all right, not only are you not putting up against a monstrous heavyweight size-wise, it's a teammate of Daniel Cormier's. It's kind of a Daniel Cormier analog. Yeah, there you go. See, now you're bringing up uh, promotional avenues that I didn't even considered. Daniel Cormier's best friend you, is out here trying to get revenge. DC's probably going to be in the corner of Cain Velasquez, you'd think. We could have fun with that. We could have some fun with I that. I mean, you just, I was 95% on board and you just talked me the rest of the way there. Boom. When you have a best friend out there fighting the arch nemesis, though, you know what has to happen. You run in with a steel chair? Swerve. Daniel Cormier hits Cain Velasquez with the chair and joins the flock of John Jones. Wow. Then you got number one rated cable television for the rest of the year. <laughs> you know, you might be going in a different direction. Let's just say that. Last question this week comes to us from Austin Shippey, who writes, Short and simple, is Kayla Harrison doomed to obscurity, stuck on PSF PFL's Misfit Island, somewhere between a weakened cyborg nation and the fictional city of Japan where Gabby Garcia roams like some aimless golem? Wow. Well written. Yeah. I, I think Austin Shippey has been on the show like three weeks in a row. Aimless golem. He's, he's, uh, he's throwing heaters, scoring nothing but touchdowns here. That's what Austin Shippey has been doing the last few weeks. Well, my first... Short answer to this was yes. If As long as Kayla Harrison's over there, then there's not a whole lot of work to be done. But maybe that's not the worst thing to happen for her at this point in her development as a fighter. Yeah, she's only had, what, three fights? Yeah, we're just going to keep bringing people for you to beat up, and you're going to keep beating them up. Um, then I thought, how long do we believe PFL is going to be around? Or how long do we believe Kayla Harrison is going to be in the game? Like, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. Potentially, that need to be answered. I mean, Kayla Harrison 
uh, honestly is like a, a potential star as far as I'm concerned. Every time I've seen her fight, every time I've seen her do media, she's knocked it out of the park. She's been terrific. She seems like, uh, you know, she comes out of that Olympic uh, tradition. So she's a person that's used to doing media. She, those kind of athletes generally know how to get it done in, in like the media department on top of being top rate competitors. I just feel like since she's, she's fighting at 155 in the women's division where there isn't much at all known competition. Uh, I don't even like, you can say, yeah, she's stranded in PFL. She's doomed to obscurity, but like, let's say she came to the UFC tomorrow, like PFL granted her a release. She comes over and signs like she could fight Chris Cyborg, but above and beyond that, we're still talking about a situation where there aren't really any 155 pound women for her to fight. Like she could essentially be in an even more, bastardized women's featherweight division where you try to get Holly Holm and, and uh, you know, whoever else can make the weight to go up there and fight her. But uh, just the sheer size of Kayla Harrison limits her promotionally, unless you can do a Mike Tyson thing with her where she's just crushing everybody. Or where she goes to the fictional city of Japan where Gabby Garcia roams like an aimless golem. Also that would work. That would work. I mean, that might be the best fight on the board for, uh, Kayla Harrison. Well, New Year's Eve just passed, so I guess that leaves us a whole year to wait, right? Because that's you're not doing that one yeah, any yeah. other time of year. She can get a couple more fights in. Yeah. Roll in 6-0 and no against Gabby Garcia. Man, I feel like you are just on the ball with booking fights this week. Boom. Book it. Cup of noodles man in the background jumping up and down on the ring ropes. Somebody's going to come give men folks a job. He's the new, he's the new uh, booking agent for uh, some... MMA promotion. Basically, all I do is I, I read emails. I read email suggestions, and I say, yeah, okay, let's do that. You steal other people's ideas. Yes. It's a great work. one steal, Chad. Good work if you can get it. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, the last time we saw Henry Carlos Zahudo and Tyler Jeffrey Dillashaw, they were out there doing the damn thing on the same fight card, UFC 227, back in August. TJ Dillashaw emerged victorious with a win over his arch nemesis, uh, Cody Garbrandt at the time. Henry Cejudo obviously upset uh, reigning men's flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson via split decision in what was a, a close and pretty awesome fight. Now we're going to get these two guys going at it together. Champion versus champion in the main event of this UFC on ESPN plus one card. That's 10 syllables, by the way. <laughs> How many syllables do you feel is acceptable? UFC on FS1. That's the limit? That's the upper limit? Yeah. Okay. ESPN, UFC on ESPN plus one. Well, see, and th- that's what makes it tricky, though, is the UFC on ESPN Plus. Like, ESPN Plus is the thing. 
the actual name of the place where I can find these fights. And when you start adding numbers after it, it just yeah. sounds like a com- like ESPN plus four. I'm going to go, wait. Especially since things that are called ESPN2. Right, yeah. They already exist. Those exist. Those are things that exist. Also, when we get to e- UFC on ESPN plus eight, we're all going to agree to call that one the Ocho, right? <laughs> yes, let's do okay. that. Let's right. go ahead and do that. Uh, ben, I don't feel like we've heard a ton publicly from either of these guys since these big wins that they got. Uh, this is a hell of a fight just in terms of a matchup of styles and a, a an MMA fight that the hardcore fans probably can't complain about. How weird does it seem to you still, even at this juncture, that we're doing this for Henry Cejudo's flyweight title and not TJ Dillashaw's bantamweight title? Does that feel weird still? It is weird. The thing that's really weird is when I was thinking about it earlier today to try to make my pick for the MMA Junkie staff picks, and I was like, I know TJ Dillashaw is the favorite. He's a slight favorite in this. I can understand why he's the favorite. I also question what the cut down to 125 will do to him. As we talked about on a previous show, he wasn't looking so great, just getting off the bus-wise, looking a little bit wax skeleton-ish as he was dieting down to 125, and that's before the weight cut even started in earnest. And so I wondered if that'll take something out of him. And then I remembered, you know who else has historically had some problems with the cut to 125? Henry Cejudo. So then you got a couple guys who both are not going to easily make flyweight at all. Both of them a threat to miss weight. And they're going to fight over the flyweight title, which the UFC doesn't seem to even want around anymore. Right. And to me, that's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest aspect of this whole thing. If indeed the rumors of the demise of the men's flyweight division are true, I can't for the life of me figure out why you would have this fight for the flyweight title. Like, just have it for the bantamweight title. Have uh, Henry Cejudo, Daniel Cormier style, relinquish the flyweight title. To no one essentially quit before you can be fired uh, and just say, we're not doing flyweight anymore. And then have him go up to bantamweight and fight for the tile there. It seems like if you were going to take the extraordinary step of ending the men's 125 pound division, which I don't think I'm being presumptuous to say the co-main event podcast opposes, but if you are going to do that, doesn't that bring like a natural closure to that division to have your champion say, we're done here. I'm moving up. We'll see y'all at 135 pounds. <laughs> yes. It also seems, though, maybe the UFC was aiming for a different type of closure. Because you remember what TJ Dillashaw said when he was talking about why he was going down there. He said that he was being paid, I believe, a fuckload of money to go down and kill the flyweight division. Like, as if maybe the UFC... And who knows if that's his interpretation or if that is something that was said to him by the UFC. But That sounds it, like something that... Somebody we all know might text to somebody else. <laughs> you could imagine that. Uh, it makes you wonder if they thought the closure would look like, well, the bantamweight champion, if he beats the flyweight champion and then says, guess what? Ha ha, I got both belts now and I'm going back to my weight class and you'll hear no more of this one. Is that also a form of closure? Yeah, but not as good a one. No. Like I, the other way around would be much better. And, and it would also implies like, what if Henry Cejudo wins? Does that mean that you have to keep flyweight going? Well, then he's the, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? It doesn't make any sense. They could have just done it the other way, as far as I'm concerned. As we talked about before on the show, if they do, let's say, postpone the UFC flyweight division, which is another word for canceled in the world of mixed martial arts fighting, uh, 
like what I don't even know, man. Like, what? Well, is it premature? Because we just, like, Henry Cejudo was the new champ there. This is his first title defense after yeah. beating Demetrius Johnson. Like, the 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 old way of thinking was that people wouldn't watch the flyweights, and Demetrius Johnson was a dominant champion there. I feel like we're not even giving Henry Cejudo a chance to to take the ball and run with it yeah, at 125. That, that's a similar point that uh, Joseph Benavidez made, where he was like, we had this really dominant champion, and he kind of ran out of people to fight. You know, middleweight entered a lull kind of when Anderson Silva was running out of people to fight. It, maybe it's just something that happens and maybe you shouldn't read it as the entire division can't draw ever. Uh, but also the UFC is re-signing guys like Joseph yeah. Benavidez. He yeah. just signed a new four-fight deal. Exactly. And he said, as far as he's concerned, it's business as usual. Well, what he said was, when asked, did they say, be prepared to fight as a bantamweight, he said, didn't come up. Which... Is interesting. I mean, I think that you might want to ask about that. You might want to see exactly what they're thinking when they sign you to a new contract. But it does seem like if I'm a UFC flyweight right now, I am mentally preparing myself for that possibility, right? That the UFC is going to tell me one day, guess what? Congratulations, you've been promoted to bantamweight. (laughs) Have another slice of pie. Yeah, let's celebrate. We're going up to 135. Uh, yeah, I think the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me, especially since you're signing on to this new deal where you're going to have to have, again, in 2019, a whole boatload of fights, a shitload of fights, as TJ Dillashaw might say, uh, <laughs> that you would need to put on all kinds of different platforms over on ESPN. I don't kind of don't understand doing away with an entire division. Uh, you know, you could just keep the flyweight division open. You could have a champion there. Maybe Henry Cejudo is amenable to fighting at both divisions and just, you know, whenever you had a tasty matchup at 125 pounds, you could put that on just like they're doing with uh Cejudo versus Dillashaw at the same time. The, the purist in me kind of uh, hates the idea of just like seeing it go. I would like to see everybody at every weight who wants to fight, have an opportunity to fight relatively same sized individuals. Yeah. How big a disaster would it be if somebody doesn't make weight for this? Oh my after God. All this. Wow. That would be a very possible. Given I mean, the yeah. Whole, the whole situation's very possible. Either one of them could not make weight for this. And we're doing it in New York. So you got to deal with the New York State Athletic Commission. I mean, being that this is mixed martial arts and this is a pretty big deal, the first UFC event on ESPN, I think we kind of got to expect something like that, don't we? Like Murphy's Law often reigns in this sport. And uh, I hope that. Uh, Joseph Benavides and Dustin Ortiz are ready to go out there and do it for the title. <laughs> uh, who do you think wins this? I feel like I have no idea. It's a, it's a really good and close fight. I feel like both of these guys are guys that we perennially underestimate. And, you know, they both of their losses have been few and far between. Henry Cejudo has only lost to Demetrius Johnson and uh, Joseph Benavides via split decision. He's won three in a row. He's one of these guys that seems to get better and better every time we see him, I believe, as evidenced by the fact that he eked out that win over Demetrius Johnson. But but TJ Dillashaw is almost a guy where he's sort of, I feel like he's sort of criminally underrated. Like we just don't talk about him very much in terms of being one of the best in the sport. Uh, and yet he has also won four in a row. His losses are Dominic Cruz, Rafael Asuncao, and John Dodson uh, in his career. Uh, so, you know, he's coming off those two fights against Cody Garbrandt, which is kind of a weird place to be for anybody. I... 
I mean, I feel like Henry Sudo has a great chance. Yeah. But that's, it also could just be that I'm kind of overlooking TJ Dillashaw. He might just go out there and run circles around the guy. And then when we're done, we're left once again with this view of TJ Dillashaw as a guy who's like so good, we often forget about it. Yeah. I, I also, I just, my main variable that I can't figure out how to figure it is the weight. Yeah. But TJ Dillashaw has never done this before. And he's out there looking like Skeletor. Has been looking like Skeletor for most of the month of January. Yeah. Like that's, that has got to play some kind of a factor when you get in there. Especially if you have to go five rounds with Henry Cejudo. Plus, the lighter person has won all of the recent champion versus champion fights. Right? In the UFC. Is that true? George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre. Amanda Amanda Nunes. Nunes. Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier. So there you go. Take it to the bank. If you got $20 you never want to see again, Henry Cejudo. Yeah, I mean, I think he's at like a like plus 150 underdog last I checked. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Jed, you see that Kat Zangano is appealing that loss to Megan Anderson? I did, yeah. Uh, and apparently her eye is going to be okay, yeah, which we which are all glad for. That is good news. First of all, even if you appeal a fight where everybody agrees you were screwed, you almost never will win. State Athletic Commission ain't going to be out here overturning fights unless it absolutely has to. What a nightmare for the right. Athletic Commission. Second, here's one where I don't know what that you can make the argument that you were absolutely screwed. You got kicked in the eye. I mean, you you were poked in the eye by the toe, but... What do you want people to do about they toes, man? Right. Somebody asked John McCarthy, right? Right. On, and he on... made a good point. Like he said, you can't control your toes the same way you can your fingers. We don't expect you to ball your toes up into a fist every time you throw a kick. So this is just something that can happen. And yet, in her appeal that we have uh, some of the quotes from on MMA Junkie, it basically makes the argument that the unified rules aren't clear enough on what kind of eye gouges are illegal and what kind are legal. The language of the unified rules regarding eye gouging is non-exhaustive, and the examples listed, namely eye gouging by means of fingers, chin, or elbow, are not meant as the only methods by which a foul may occur, reads the appeal. First, the language is plainly open-ended, beginning with eye gouging of any kind. Are you fucking kidding me? You know you're not going to win this fucking kidding me i appreciate maybe that you're trying to get a little clarification in the unified rules maybe that is overdue but are you fucking kidding me you're wasting your time and your money ben do you remember when Derek lewis fought daniel cormier of course on a whim for both guys yes a fight that very much felt like they both had said ah fuck it in their conversations on the phone with ufc matchmakers i do very much yes do you remember that one of the things that Derek lewis scooped up for taking that fight, was free Popeye's chicken for life? Yes, I do. This might be the most surprising Are You Fucking Kidding Me of the year. I just saw over on MMA Junkie, on the blue corner, Derek Lewis has not taken advantage of any of his free Popeye's chicken for life offer at all. Hasn't picked up the card. He's got to go pick up, like, the Popeye's chicken equivalent of a black card. Right. Yes. He just, the, the, I don't even know what it would look like, but it, it grants him free Popeye's chicken for life. And here's his quote. I haven't picked the card up yet, Lewis said. They told me I got to go do, go to that location and pick up the card. I've been busy. I haven't picked up my card yet, and I haven't been to Popeye's since the fight. Now, maybe this just speaks to where I am in life and where Derek Lewis is in life, 
But if someone gave me free food for life, Ben, I would have picked up that card. <laughs> Are you uh, fucking kidding me? The best part. I'd be eating Popeyes right now. Right now while we're recording this. That's probably best that this All people would happened. hear is the, my lips smacking and me chewing on the chicken. That's it. Uh... The location that he has to go pick up the card? I assume it's Popeye's, right? It's a half mile from his house, Okay, he said. Yeah. Well, I mean, he also said we're talking about his, a professional athlete here. His, so. his wife brought home Popeye's uh, chicken for dinner one night, but she paid for yeah, it. Yeah, because they're good people. And the when, Lewises are good people. And when she came home with it, he was like, don't you know that I get free Popeye's? And she was like, oh, well, then how do we get it? And he was like, well, I have to go get the card, and I haven't done it. Which, though, I've, I had the same feeling of, are you fucking kidding me when I heard this? But I also felt like... Man, I could totally see myself just putting that off, putting off it's driving for a life, half right? mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a no rush. Around. No I'm, rush. I don't want that Popeye's chicken, you know, six years from now. It's not. There's no big hurry to get down there and get started eating that free chicken. This table that we're recording the show at right now would be buried in empty Popeye's chicken food boats. That's what it would be for me. I think what we've learned here today is that you must never, under any circumstances, be awarded free fast food. Solid point. Solid point. Anyway, that is going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Jed, I admit I had a little bit of a what the what moment. When I first saw the bout order and every way this fight card was going to shake out. Because on the top, you got Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw. Two belts on the line. Obviously, that's going to be a main event. Yep. Makes perfect sense. I heard Donald Cerrone was going to fight Alexander Hernandez. And this was after Donald Cerrone teasing that he had something very fun lined up for his return to lightweight. I don't think this was what he was talking about. I don't think fighting Alexander Hernandez is fun for anybody at 155 pounds. No. Uh... But then, when the bout order came out, I saw, you know, Greg Hardy versus Alan Crowder was your co-main event, all the way down there as the, what the UFC at one time tried to brand as the prelim main event, basically the last prelim before the main card starts, Donald Cerrone's on that. Yeah. Which at first would appear to make no sense. And then you realize, this is one of those weird fight cards. The first prelims, the early prelims are on ESPN+, then they switch over to ESPN TV uh-huh. for the middle prelims. That's the one that Donald Cerrone is basically headlining, and then they go back to ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, so like the question is, did Donald Cerrone actually kind of tumble ass over tea kettle into what is the best slot on this entire car? Right. And obviously you've got to think the thought process here is, we want these middle prelims to help catapult people toward the streaming service. You're basically trying to do with them what you do with a pay-per-view, yeah. basically, where you want to end on a really good one so that then the, the two bald guys can stand there shouting about how you need to get your credit card out so you can keep this party going. Oh, man, do you think we're going to get bald man shout times over there on ESPN trying to get people over to the plus? I kind of hope so just so everybody can see what the fuck they're really getting themselves into <laughs> with this sport. I want them to see what it what is really ha- you know it's like you go on a first date and you're trying to present the the best possible version of yourself. No, let's let's show them what we're really all about. I mean, we are putting Greg Hardy in the co-main event after all. Uh, you know, you got some some decent fights on that part. You got uh, Joanne Calderwood on there, uh, but Donald Cerrone versus Alexander Hernandez is clearly the marquee fight of that one. Yeah, is he in the best spot there? 
He's going to get to be the guy who really gets to kind of show out on ESPN. Yeah, I think it makes sense from everybody's point of view, really, when you think about it for a while. Because obviously, if you are the company, what you want is for Donald Cerrone and Alexander Hernandez to go out there and have a barn burner. The kind of fight where everybody watching at home thinks, oh my God, I can't do anything else for the next you know, four hours or however long the main card is going to take. So they have to uh, whip their credit cards out and buy ESPN plus and, and watch the actual main card. I suppose if you're Donald Cerrone and Alexander Hernandez, uh, maybe you need to get different stuff out of this fight. But I mean, I think the one constant for the fighters from their point of view is probably that they want to be out there in front of the biggest audience possible so that they can promote themselves. Uh, and that's probably the best slot, especially for this first UFC on ESPN Plus card, I would imagine that the live television audience will probably dwarf the streaming audience. So, like, uh, if you're Donald Cerrone and you want to, you know, continue to promote your own brand, you're probably in the right spot. And if you're Alexander Hernandez, who is another one of these guys that reminds you that the UFC has such an embarrassment of riches in terms of sheer talent that, like... Alexander Hernandez is not even necessarily a guy that we discuss that much. And then you watch him fight and he's just a murderer. If you're Alexander Hernandez, it'd be a big jump for your career to go out there and beat somebody like Donald Cerrone on live ESPN television. So I think both guys probably consider this to be the right spot for them. Uh, Moving forward, how any of this stuff plays is anybody's guess because I really have no idea. Uh, It wasn't that long ago, Ben, that like the gold standard metric for how we would judge a fight card like this would be television ratings. Remember when Elite XC and uh, Strike Force were on network television? Yeah. We basically regarded as it as the biggest deal in the world. When the UFC signed with Fox, they were like, oh, we're bringing combat sports back into your living rooms. We're going to be on network television. Now we've got a situation where for the life of this ESPN deal, assuming that it mostly remains on streaming, I don't even know if that metric exists anymore. Yeah. Well, definitely it will just be the streaming companies telling us what a huge success they had. Right. Right. And and we'll, we'll just, numbers, I was numbers just being that, like, okay, I guess you must be telling the truth. Like numbers that we don't have any access to right. unless they want to tell us about them and then we just have to take their word for it. Right. Yeah. That is true. Uh, we'll just kind of have to – well, I mean it would be something though. You're not going to be able to tell us millions of people watched on ESPN Plus if – less than that watched on ESPN TV, right? Sure. Like we're not we're not going to buy that. Uh you mentioned though the possibility that maybe when it comes to our interpretation of streaming and the role it plays in people's lives, maybe we're just old. Well, yeah, when somebody hit us up on Twitter a week or two ago when we had a previous dis- discussion once it became clear that the ES- that UFC was mostly going to be on the streaming service and not on television. And I tried to find the tweet, but it's just buried on my timeline, so I couldn't go back and find it. But the person was basically like, y'all sound mad old. I'm 26, and I don't watch television. I only watch streaming. Yeah, and said, like, nobody I know has cable. First of all, number one, we are old, so there's that. <laughs> but secondly, like, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I don't watch television either. Like, we both have streaming everything else. But the one gold standard of, of the like, the last refuge of live television has always been live sports. Yeah. And so the question is, is the UFC and ESPN just, like, way ahead of the curve here, essentially making the UFC an almost totally streaming uh, product? Or is there going to be any kind of backlash? If nothing else, I would say it it, like... 
is a clear line of demarcation between two eras, or could right. be if this is the the way the trajectory continues to go. The thing for me, because I understand the argument that hey, the younger the audience, the more comfortable they are with streaming stuff. Like they're they don't have it as a habit to break to get out of thinking of just watching cable TV and into getting into watching streaming things, which I, I've noticed even in just like the past year or so, my own attitude about that has changed. You know what happened recently? We both have Dish, don't we? We both have Dish Network. Yeah. Uh, HBO took their channels off of Dish yeah. in some part of like ongoing contractual dispute between them that has seemed to have gone on for like a couple months now. And that I almost owe HBO a debt because they helped me realize that mostly it's just crap on TV. And, but I'm still in that habit of like, I don't watch a ton of TV. I don't really feel like I have a ton of time where that's like an open window for me to sit down and watch TV. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's like last night I come home after a hockey game. I know I'm going to go to bed within 45 minutes. I don't, I don't really have time to really do anything. I'm not going to start a movie. I'm not going to read a book. I'm too tired. I just want to turn my mind off for 45 minutes and watch TV. Yeah. And I start out just watching cable and then realizing like, oh, there's just bullshit on. There's right. just there's nothing on there. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I did when I found out that the UFC was done on Fox was reduce my cable package to the lowest possible rung that I could. Right. Because I don't have to pay extra to get Fox Sports 1 anymore. Yeah. Which oh, is see, wonderful. Exactly. And I was just talking to my wife about doing the same thing, especially after the HBO thing kind of helped me realize it. So I was like, wait a minute. I can just get HBO through, like, HBO Go. You don't need the platinum tier cable uh, package anymore because we don't ever have to worry about what if I have to watch prelims on Fox Sports 2. Uh, thank God that's out of our lives. Yeah. And it is easier. Like once you just kind of get started thinking about it, it is kind of easier to think like, all right, instead of just like turning on the TV and seeing what on or on the channels, I'll go to the bevy of streaming choices and choose. But what happens? And I think that what's going to happen with a lot of these offerings on like everybody having their own streaming service is it requires more of a conscious choice. Yeah. There's no real channel surfing that's going on. There. Right. Like you have to know about this and know that you're interested in it and seek it out. And you also, when you're adding on new streaming services into your life and like subscribing to new things and taking on this $5 a month and this $10 a month, like it requires you to make more of a conscious choice and to think about what am I going to get? For what I'm paying and is it worth it rather yeah. than just having it all lumped in together with cable. And yeah. so that's what the ESPN UFC partnership is going to face is like how many people can you convince you can't live without this? Yeah. And I mean there's a very real possibility that we get ourselves into an even worse situation than we had with cable just because when we do fully go only streaming – then you've got the consumer faced with this issue of, okay, I need to buy Netflix. Do I need Amazon Prime? Do I need Hulu? Man, do it I don't matter if you need Amazon Prime. They're just going to make sure you get Amazon Prime. Yeah, but by the way, Deadwood currently available on Amazon Prime. So if you want to get down with Road Agents, the upcoming co-main event podcast, Deadwood Rewatch podcast. Road Agents. If you have Amazon Prime, you already get all of those streaming and if you've ever shows. bought anything from Amazon, it seems like you have Amazon Prime whether you like it or not. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is like eventually we get into a situation where we are potentially paying even more because we have to get all of these streaming services, including now ESPN Plus, uh, that I would think that the pendulum swings back the other way at some point where like you're probably not going back to cable, but I bet at some point there will be a bundle. 
that you can buy when right. you get a bunch of different services, which is essentially cable, but it's on exactly. streaming. And that was, I, I did a thing, I think, I, I can't remember, maybe it was Marshall Zelaznik who I talked to who, you know, had a long history in the streaming industry, and that was kind of his prediction for the future of streaming was that one of the problems it has is if it's all separated out and you have to, like, log out of one thing and log into another thing, uh, people are going to get annoyed at that, and then you'll start to see just, like, services where it's like, Here's the five most watched streaming things that you use. You can pay for one price that is slightly less than the cumulative price would be, and you just get them all lumped together, which is basically the cable bundle. Here's going to be one of my questions that I'm very much looking forward to seeing the answer to on Saturday night, and it will play maybe even an outsized role in how I view this new deal with ESPN+. The main card Mm -hmm. for this fight card on Saturday night, six fights. Yep. Now – in the Fox Sports one days, that's a guaranteed three hours. Two fights an hour, you know, maybe more. Like, it's at least going to be three hours and might stretch beyond that, especially because the main event has a way of beginning when the whole thing is scheduled to end, at least in the Fox Sports days. And then when we would see events on Fight Pass, boom, it breezed right through and we would not fuck around, throwing it back to the desk running a bunch of hype pieces for future stuff. We would just go fight, 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 and it was great. It was a huge difference going between the two. Now, ESPN Plus, it's a streaming service. I'm paying money for it. I shouldn't have to sit through a bunch of commercials and a bunch of time filler stuff. How quickly can we get these fights? And how quickly can we just, like, get down to the core of the action? Because if you tell me that watching an ESPN Plus fight card is going to be the same as watching it on Fight Pass as far as pacing... You've already made me look upon this deal a little favorably. Yeah. No, I totally agree. My gut tells me that they are going to be showing you some ads on ESPN+. Plus. It can't really, though, be this. It's not like I'm going to be watching Farmers Only ads over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I guess in theory they're not going to be trying to fill time, right? So, like, you're not – you – you shouldn't, let's say, get into a situation where they're kicking it back to the desk for 15 minutes to fill time when there's a, a a quick knockout. They feel like they need to stretch so they make their TV time. That shouldn't happen, I would think. But again, like who knows, man? Like maybe maybe it's just going to be tons of farmers only ads. If you have me sitting through a bunch of ads for fucking Toyo tires while I paid five dollars a month to watch your streaming service, I'm gonna be pissed. I would say that you at least need to emotionally prepare yourself for that possibility. No, no I will not. Okay. That's good enough for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, as we all try to figure out what is the next move for the UFC lightweight title, and by extension, the UFC lightweight champion, Habib Nurmagomedov, he and Conor McGregor are back out here shooting arrows at each other on social media, which I guess you could call business as usual at this point. Conor McGregor's out here on the grams, uh, throwing punches both at Habib and at Polly Malignaggi. Perhaps with some revisionist history. Perhaps with some revisionist history, especially since uh, you know you are in a position where Habib can always drop the video of you tapping out to the rear naked choke slash like chin crusher thing whenever he wants to. So Habib comes back at Connor with you will live with this shame all of your life. Hashtag tap machine. 
which, okay, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, operating in a second language, yeah. We probably have been naive up to this point, man, to not anticipate that a Diaz, as though sitting down to lunch and seeing a brawl in the middle of the street, would not jump up from the table and sprint into the middle of this. Dab the, the corners of his mouth with his napkin before placing it neatly on the table and then jumping up to go throw a, like a jumping drop kick. Because here comes Nathan Diaz into the middle of the fray with his own retort. I slapped you in your head and your team didn't do shit. Live with that. Y'all are pussies. You're all pussies. Yeah. You are. The letter you are. I felt I would save the listener from that, but. No, the listener needs to know the now full context the here. Yeah. 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 And then uh, Habib fires back with like video of the altercation, right? Or did, maybe he didn't post the video, but he was like, the video is clear that you, you ran behind security. And suddenly we're all junior high school kids talking about who did what and who got the better of what and who was scared and who wasn't. Uh, well, it's interesting that just a couple of weeks ago, we had the discussion about what Habib Nurmagomedov was going to do next and about how his manager had said, hey, we're out here for the money fights. We don't necessarily want to fight Tony Ferguson next. He said 100% Tony Ferguson is not next. Okay, well, take that for what it's worth. 100% in this sport oftentimes does not necessarily mean 100%. Uh, we've been talking about the possibility of a Nurmagomedov-McGregor rematch, which both guys, you know, if we had to read between the lines, I would say we're probably jockeying toward that with all this online uh, beef. And I don't even think we discussed the possibility of a Diaz running out the front door of the restaurant and getting himself in the middle of this stuff. Which was truly naive of us. We, we really should have, have seen anticipated that anticipated yeah. that because wherever the hint of money is, you know, the Diaz brothers are not far behind. Do you believe for one moment, Ben, because frankly, I think Nate Diaz versus Abib Nurmagomedov is kind of an interesting fight, despite the fact that I think we all kind of know what happens in that fight. Yeah. Uh, do you believe for one second that it, it would be a serious thing that Nate Diaz might wind up in a fight for the lightweight title against Abib Nurmagomedov in 2019? I mean, I want to say no because I want to believe no, just because I want there to be some sense of like a clear narrative and one thing leading to another. Uh, but yet I can't say I confidently believe that that's the world we're living in at this point. If I'm Tony Ferguson and I sit back and I'm watching all this stuff and suddenly with, with like a tweet, Nate Diaz is in this goddamn conversation. I, I mean, I feel like putting my head through a wall. I, I, or maybe I feel like letting my thumbs do the talking here and getting on Twitter and reminding everybody what the situation is. I just sitting around watching this stuff from afar. Sometimes it feels like I'm taking fucking crazy pills because no one is even talking about having the lightweight champion face the light top lightweight contender. Like, why is that not of interest to more people? Why do we get caught up in stuff like this? I'd kill to see, uh, Nermi and Tony Ferguson, just not only because like positioning wise in the division, it is the only thing that makes sense but because it would be a fucking awesome fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, we just talked about this, though. You know what just happened was that we gave Habib Nurmagomedov keys to a room full of money. And we were like, hey, man, you can use this key and go into that room full of money and stuff, big bags full of it and carry it out the back door. Or you can go to the other side of the street and fight Tony Ferguson. Guys are going to stuff their bags full of money when they get that opportunity. And especially for a guy like Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, he's got to... 
capitalize on this as much as he can, because I think you were the one who said it the first time we talked about this, like he's not bringing the crowd in himself. Like he's largely, despite the fact that he is the better fighter making that money off the back of Conor McGregor or now potentially off the back of like a Nate Diaz. Do you think Habib versus Nate Diaz does a ton of pay-per-view buys though? Cause I don't, I don't think that it's a huge blockbuster. It's not Conor McGregor sized. But what is at this point in this in this sport? Uh, it's probably better than Tony Ferguson. It's in the middle between the two. It's probably closer to Tony Ferguson than it is Conor McGregor, but it's probably still more. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I understand that if you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, Nate Diaz has remained. It's impressive how he's remained like an enduring point of interest for MMA fans, considering what his activity has been like. Yeah. Like both Diaz brothers have that going for him where it seems like we don't ask anything of them other than they continue being the Diaz brothers. But if you take him away from those Conor McGregor fights and put him in something else, I don't know how much of that spotlight carries over with him. Yeah, and I would be super surprised if we get Habib Nurmagomedov versus Nate Diaz next. I feel like this is the kind of thing that the Diaz brothers do. They will... You know, throw the, throw some tweets out there, get into a war of words, tantalize us a little bit with their return, and then it doesn't end up happening, usually because of, uh, you know, failed negotiations or a lack of anyone's true interest or whatever, whatever. I would kind of feel like I would be super surprised if we don't get a Conor McGregor-Habib Nurmagomedov rematch this year sometime. Uh, you know, the only, the one thing that I could see being an impediment to that fight is the fact that I feel like Conor McGregor needs to win one. And that's obviously a super tough fight for him as we saw the first time around. But, uh, I mean, if you're Habib Nurmagomedov and, and you're, you're giving us the straight truth here that you want a money fight, like, I don't even know where else you go. Like yeah. Conor McGregor is the guy. He's the option. Well, and the UFC seems like the, their tune has changed on it. Dana White went from saying Tony Ferguson is the fight you make next to, well, hey, if everybody can handle their business with the Athletic Commission, then I think you could see a rematch of Nurmi and Conor McGregor in 2019. How about Conor McGregor trying to uh, tell us maybe maybe he was trying to spit some truth at Khabib when he was talking to him at the end of the third round, his round, as he was quick to to point out. He claims that he was saying, stop bitching, when really... It seemed like what everybody had already decided he was saying was, it's only business, as in, please stop beating me up like you're angry at me. Yeah, that's not what he was saying. He was saying it's only business, right? Does he actually expect us to believe it, or is this just some trolling on Conor McGregor's part? I mean, part? There's, uh, you know that there's probably a healthy crop of people out there that are going to believe it, because Conor McGregor said it, my man. And anything that Conor McGregor says, it's worth its weight in gold, Right? Right? <laughs> uh, we're, go- we're just going to see that fight again, aren't we? How is Polly Malignaggi still in everybody's mentions here? <laughs> uh, I, see, I wasn't going to bring him up. I felt like it feels like Conor McGregor was just scrolling through his old drafts. He was like, Did I, do I have anything that I didn't publish that I can still throw out there? Oh, here's one that I didn't use circa summer 2016 about Polly. Yeah, I mean, does his phone even still remember how to autocorrect Malignaggi? <laughs> Has there, or has it been too long? It doesn't matter. Just ballpark it. 
All right, you want to do uh, Just Saying Stuff? Yeah. And then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, I saw over on Twitter a couple of MMA journalists, John Nash uh, and Stephen Kelleher, were talking today. Uh, I talked about them on the Power Hour as well, so I don't want it to look like I'm just out here stalking their Twitter timelines, which mm-hmm. I assure you I am not. But well, they were running too much a little bit. There. They were running some numbers out there that made it appear as though there has been a 40% decline in the total number of MMA events in America since 2013, including both professional and, uh, you know, independent and big time. So I guess this week I'm just saying, uh, is that good? I mean, most of the scary stuff I've seen in MMA happens at the local level, but I still got to think a 40% decline in the overall number of events, probably not the sign of the healthiest sport. Just saying. A lot of independent promoters out there realizing it ain't worth it is what it sounds like to me. Well, you say realizing it ain't worth it. We've been saying for a while that maybe it's not worth it to promote MMA events. Just saying. Just saying. Chad, my just saying stuff. Uh, did you see your boy Stipe on Twitter? Ah, just let's put it in the books. No big deal. Let's just put it in the books, my man. He tweets to Daniel Cormier, March 20th is coming up quick. Let's settle this and get this fight on the books before you blow the candles out on that cake. Now, March 20th, 1979, the day Daniel Cormier was born, the day he will turn 40 years old, March 20th of 2019. Uh, I mean, I understand what Stipe is trying to do here. Yeah. But... I don't think that it's just that easy. I don't think it's a scheduling issue that much. I don't think it's just like, hey, maybe if I think far enough in advance, just so he doesn't slip his mind, if I can just... Before he gets something else scheduled? Yeah. If I can just get it in the calendar, if I can get it in his day planner... That's that's how you work with Daniel Cormier. You know he's walking around with a day planner. You you ask him what he's doing, you know, on a certain day. He's got to op- open the leather clasp on his day planner, flip it open, and check it out. I don't think it's going to be as simple as just trying to think ahead scheduling-wise in order to get that heavyweight title fight. I'm just saying there might be other concerns here. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to break down all of the stuff that happens at UFC on ESPN Plus One. Then I believe we got another open date next week, but pretty soon business is about to pick up because you essentially have a UFC event every weekend in February and in March. So a lot of stuff coming up. You will want to stick around for that. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know what I like? thing that I appreciate that Steve Miocic admittedly is a pretty dry human. He has a dry sense of humor. But I like the way he tries to really casually make it sound like his heavyweight title fight is no big deal. He's sort of like, hey man, let's get this on the books before we blow out them candles. Let's just let's do it one more time. Yeah. Kind of a big fork in the road for Daniel Corby. Yeah, so I got, us about it. got some time on March 6th. Is that good for you? Get together. Have a fist fight for money. One of us will be the UFC heavyweight champion after. The other one won't. No big deal. Let's get it on the book. Anyway, I'm also free the 8th. The evening of the 8th. I can shuffle some stuff around if it's not good for you. <laughs>